Look at the first seven verses, chapter 1, and uh, verses 1 through 7. And uh, I've entitled the message, Paul's Heart for the Philippian Saints. And uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study together. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege to assemble. Thank you for this place that you've given to us. We are blessed indeed, and we thank you for it. And we want to make good use of it for your glory. It is ultimately about you, whatever we have. Uh, We are stewards of everything you have given to us. So we uh, count it a blessing and a responsibility and a privilege uh, to be here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would bless the Awana Youth Group Ministries ongoing, that they would have a good uh, beginning of their fall ministries tonight. And then as we get started here in the book of Philippians, we ask your blessing on all the ministries of the hour. And uh, minister to our hearts now as we uh, study the word together, as we pray together, we thank you for this, this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we, we are in the book of Philippians, uh, a book that has as its theme, Joy. And uh, kind of interesting in terms of the context, where was Paul at that he would be writing about joy, right? He was, he was celebrating on a cruise in the Mediterranean, right? <laughs> Not so much. Where was Paul? He was in prison. That's right. So uh, Philippians, the uh, theme of joy, and uh, the author is the Apostle Paul. He addresses the uh, saints at, at Philippi. And as far as the city, uh, let's take a look at the map here. Whoops, sorry, I'm ahead of myself here. Right in this horseshoe, in the middle of the horseshoe here, at the top of the horseshoe, Philippi right there. Uh, Paul is over here in Rome, but he's addressing the saints at, at Philippi over here. Of course, we got the churches that Christ addressed, you know, in the book of Revelation over here. But uh, Philippi up here, top of the horseshoe. The Aegean Sea kind of forms a horseshoe, and he's at the top of the horseshoe right there. Uh, corresponding from Rome over here to Philippi. Uh, as far as the, uh, the city itself, uh, note there's a few things uh, here. Um, the city of Philippi was a very important military outpost city to Rome. Population was largely Gentile. Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. It was there, as recorded in Acts 16, that Lydia and her family, as well as the Philippian jailer and his family, came to know the Lord. Therefore, therefore, Philippi is often referred to as the place of European Christianity, uh, where we first have record of Christianity taking root and a church was planted. Because it was the first city in Europe to hear the gospel have a church established there. About five years later, on the third missionary journey, Paul again visited the city at least once. Now, about another five years later, Paul is writing this letter from 800 miles away under house arrest in Rome. So that gives us a little bit of background as far as uh, the people, the location, uh, from which he uh, is writing and to where he is, is writing. Again, this is one of the uh, four prison epistles. Uh, we've got Philippians. What else is a prison epistle? A little test here. I guess I didn't warn you we're having a test. We've got Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Yeah, those, those four are commonly called the, the prison epistles. So say we think he's writing about 60 to 62 A.D., And uh, does anybody know what the purpose of the letter is? Why is he writing to these folks? Now, he's been there a couple of times on his missionary journeys, founded a church there, second missionary journey. Uh, Why is he writing to them, do you suppose? Yes? Uh, Probably, probably right. Well, that's true. He emphasizes that. But in terms of the, the purpose that he's writing to these, one of the purposes. We could say there's more than one. Yes, Pat? To give thanks. 
Yes, a thank you letter. Yeah, yeah, he, he's wanting to thank. It comes out at the end of the letter, but he's really appreciating their support. And then other things enter in there, uh, as you are saying, Vince. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there is a strong emphasis on eternal perspective in here for sure. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, he's writing a thank you letter for the gift and for their participation in his ministry uh, all along the way. And uh, let me look with you for just a moment at the theme here. Uh, as I say, joy, rejoice in the Lord. Key verse 4-4, four, four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Quite a perspective coming from prison. And then as far as the outline uh, salutation, opening prayer, we're, we're in that section tonight. Rejoicing Christ our life, rejoicing Christ our example, rejoicing Christ our goal, rejoicing Christ our sufficiency, greetings and blessings. So a lot on rejoicing there as far as uh, the emphasis I'm making there. Okay, uh, why don't we have somebody uh, read, uh, let's just begin with verse 1. There's quite a bit there. Somebody want to read verse 1 for us? One person read verse 1? Yeah, Okay. Anita, you want to read that for us? Okay. Really kind of have a snapshot of the local church here in verse 1. Uh, Paul and Timothy, of course, were long-term ministry partners. We think that very possibly Paul led Timothy to the Lord, often refers to him as my son. Uh, so very possibly he led him to the Lord. They were very close. Uh, earlier... Uh, on the second missionary journey, uh, Paul had possibly led him to the Lord, um, uh, so, or led him to the Lord on the first missionary journey, and then they were together on the second missionary journey, I should say. And so uh, they were close, Paul and Timothy. And notice it says then, uh, my translation, New King James says, uh, bond servants of Jesus Christ, literally doulos, slaves, slaves of Jesus Christ, now, we kind of conjure up a very negative imagery when we talk about, you know, that we are slaves of Jesus Christ. What's the concept of a slave here in the New Testament? We are said to be slaves of Jesus Christ. Uh, various times, Paul refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time uh, emphasis here. It's a very common emphasis. But what's the idea of being a slave of Jesus Christ? What's that? Yeah, well, that's true, but actually stronger than a servant, I would say. It is servant, and it's often translated that way. But what's the concept of a, being a slave? I say I'm a slave, and I would say I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's right. He's the master, right? He's the master, and I'm the slave. How did he become my master? Well, in salvation, that's right. Let me put it another way. What did he do? to become my master. He paid for us. Right? He bought us. Slaves were bought. If you owned a slave, you bought it. And so that's the idea. He bought us with his precious, but we belong to him. Uh, our lives as Christians are not really our own. We don't have the right to say, well, I'm going to live any way I want to live. Not really. We, we belong to Christ. We are his possession. Uh, he owns us. And therefore, he has the right to, are you ready for this? Run our, run our lives. He, he is the master. We are his slaves. Now, you know what? You can be a disobedient slave, right? You can be a rebellious slave. Not a good idea. I don't recommend it unless you like discipline. But uh, he is, our, he is our, our master and, and we are his slaves. And by the way, Paul uh, often brings this out. And I think this speaks of humility. Uh, sometimes it, it is necessary for Paul to emphasize his apostleship which is a kind of a, a position of a authority that God put him in. 
But here he doesn't start there, and he doesn't mention this. It doesn't seem it's necessary with the, the Philippian saints. There's not an issue as far as challenging his apostolic role. Uh, so he very humbly begins by saying, uh, and puts Timothy kind of on the same level as him. Again, a, a very humble spirit saying that we are the slaves of Jesus Christ. And so uh, sees himself in a humble light, I, I do think. All right. Any thoughts there as we start? Okay, continue on there. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Uh, the word saints means set apart ones. That's the idea. Uh, holy ones, set apart ones. And all believers are referred to as saints in the New Testament. From now on, I think you should refer to me as St. Dwight, and I'll refer to you as Saint whoever you are. Just kidding, of course, but, you know, people will say sometimes, you know, I'm no saint. Well, I'm assuming that we need to do a little evangelism there, right? I mean, they, we kind of understand, but that they don't understand if they're a believer. But technically, you know, we are all saints, not our doing. Uh, it's Christ's doing. Positionally, we are set-apart ones. We belong to Jesus Christ. As we've already said, we're his slaves. Uh, he bought us, and so we, be- we belong to him. We are, we are saints positionally. And uh, there's either, you're either a saint or you're an ain't, one of the two. Uh, th- there's no in-betweens. Uh, you're either a saint or you're an ain't, uh, one of those two categories. You're either a believer or an unbeliever, and if you're a believer, you are a saint. So he says, to all the saints which is to all the church, all the believers in Jesus Christ uh, who are in Philippi. Uh, so uh, in terms of uh, their position, uh, they are saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what makes you a saint, by the way, is you are in Christ. And you're either in Christ or out of Christ again. There, there's no in-between. Uh, you're either in or out. And so uh, in Christ Jesus uh, denotes the, the spiritual sphere of union with Christ. That's where we are as, as believers. Ten times in Philippians, he talks about being in Christ in one form or another. So to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are uh, in uh, Philippi. So they're in Christ spiritually, and they're in Philippi geographically. And then he says, with the bishops, bishops, episkopos is the, is the Greek word here. It's plural. Uh, bishops literally means overseers and uh, this is another word for, instead of bishops, we often see in the New Testament, what's the word that's used to describe this position of oversight? Elders. Yeah, we commonly talk about elders, which speaks of maturity. Uh, bishop speaks of their role as far as the oversight. You've got to have leaders, right? The church has to have leaders. Uh, so go the leaders, so goes the church. I think that's, that's so true. Um, in the New Testament, the words bishop, elder, and pastor are essentially interchangeable as seen here, Acts, Titus, 1 Peter. There is perhaps a difference in emphasis, but the same office is in view. Uh, overseer, elder, pastor, the idea of pastor, shepherd, the church leaders, different uh, labels here. Bishop means overseer, those that have the spiritual oversight. Elder is a term of respect and dignity that emphasizes maturity. Pastor means shepherd. Uh, we are shepherding the flock. All the elders are shepherds, under-shepherds. I like to say under-shepherds. There's one chief shepherd, but we are uh, under-shepherds. And then uh, pastor-teacher, uh, specifically gifted men that Christ has given to the church, key leaders among the leaders. And then the word deacon means uh, servant. So these are the, the key titles that we find in the New Testament related to uh, those who have a, a position in the church. And then he says deacons, again, means servants. 
And so what we have here really is a, a snapshot of the local church. I should back up for just a moment. The deacons, of course, serve under the oversight of the elders. And they kind of are like, you know, they're the right-hand men to the elders. They, they are serving alongside the elders, and yet they're, they're under the elders as well in a, in a servant role uh, to the whole church, but really working hand-in-hand with the elders. So I say you have a snapshot, I think, here in one sentence. Yes. Well, they fit in there too, but we don't usually consider that a, a church office per se. Uh, so, I mean, it is, it, there are gifted people given to, to the church that are called evangelists there. And uh, so, but, you know, we don't like, usually we don't say, you know, well, we're recognizing Brother So as, a, as an evangelist, as an official position in the church. It's, it's a gifted position, for sure. But, you know, we don't really always, as far as like say, well, the evangelists at Southview are so and so and so and so and so and so. Uh, don't usually do that. So when we think about offices, we usually think about elders and deacons as far as the local church. But that's a good question. Yeah, and there's, you know, you got the, the four categories of gifted people that Christ has given to the church in Ephesians. Uh, we don't have apostles either, prophets. I do think we have evangelists. Uh, I would kind of relate them to more, uh, if you look in our common vernacular, to church planters almost who are equipped and gifted to reach out and bring people to the Lord. And uh, then you kind of have the pastor teacher following in that vein to where now we need to build those people up that have been one to the Lord. So there's kind of a composite picture going on there that's being developed in Ephesians. But good question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, it all it all fits. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, but yeah, again, a snapshot of the church. I think uh, is what we have here. Uh, we have all the saints, which is the whole church, the whole congregation of believers, and then of course you have the overseers, the bishops, and and the deacons. Uh, so that's who he's addressing, uh, kind of breaking it down into those three categories: the whole church, the overseers, and the deacons. All right, any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 2? All right, very good. Let's have somebody read verse 2. Uh, who wants to read that for us? Um, Vince, you want to read that? Okay, maybe you woke up this morning and you, you, thought, and you were thinking, I wonder what God's uh, uh, greeting to me is today. Uh, I, I don't think you have to wonder what God, if, if God is going to uh, greet you in some way, what his greeting would be. Uh, we have an inspired greeting from the, the Apostle Paul. But notice, it's uh, from God our Father. We often kind of read this like this. Well, this is from Paul. No, Paul is representing God the Father and Jesus Christ. And what's the message? What's the greeting? Grace to you and peace. I like that greeting from my father. And from Jesus Christ. I'm glad he's not saying fire and brimstone today, my friends. <laughs> no, it's grace. And by the way, grace is always first. Everything flows out of grace. Uh, grace means God's unmerited favor. 
And grace really relates to salvation. I like to think about grace first in terms of the cross, God's unmerited favor, in terms of the gospel of grace and what Christ has done for us. But then it's grace that brings us to himself. I mean, and you know, there's mystery there. The spirit blows, uh, the spirit is like the wind which blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it goes. There's mystery there, but it's, it's God's grace at work to bring us to himself. And then it's, it's God's grace that empowers us to serve him. So really in relationship to salvation, in relationship to Christian living, grace to you. Uh, this is God's disposition uh, to you and to me. Grace to you and peace. Uh, what's the idea of peace? Well, it's the idea that all is well. Uh, tranquility, harmony. Uh, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful is this? Uh, God, we're not at war with God. There's not, there's not a hostility, not a hostile relationship between us and God. Peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting. They're linked here. Uh, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the greeting of grace and peace comes from both of them, uh, linking them together, showing really an equality when it comes to deity. When you think about God uh, our Father, what's the concept of God being our Father as believers? Any ideas? Well, okay. Very good. Uh, you kind of think about Vince. You going to say something? I was thinking about the old care. Yes. Amen. Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Kind of the the sovereign, benevolent caretaker who is over all of God's all of the children. You think about a father. You think about children, right? We're children of God, and He takes care of us. And what's His attitude to us? Well, grace and peace, unmerited favor to you, and my peace. I love that. You could take that through life. You can take that into eternity. Grace to you and peace from, from your father. Yeah. Yeah. This is really, really quite interesting. I haven't studied so many of these things in my life. Sometimes we get out there and think about the problems that you may have throughout your day and, and your busy life. And you know, whatever thing is bombarding you, it'll be good to remember God's grace and peace. Yeah. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, we, and we need, we need reminding, for sure. That's, that's for sure. Amen, brother. Thank you. So, and then, of course, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means master. Jesus means uh, savior. Christ means uh, the special chosen one, the, the anointed one. Uh, so, uh, this is who the message is from. All right. Anything else before we move on to uh, the next couple of verses here? Yes, Ron? <laughs> I've wondered that too, brother. You know, yeah, where is the Holy Spirit in this? Huh? Well, we know he's there, but yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I've thought about it. I don't really have a, a full answer for you. Well, that's right. We know that the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. But, uh, you know, the greeting isn't specifically stated to be from the Holy Spirit. It's a, that's, it's a great question. <laughs> you're going to get an A for the question there. All right. Uh, we know that. But the question here is, why is he not in the, in the greeting? <laughs> Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would like to 
say, well, and the Holy Spirit. That would make for a nice argument for the Trinity, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. That'd make a great argument for the Trinity, but it doesn't say that. <laughs> Why? I can't say. Yes, Randy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's 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 consistently uh, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and doesn't bring in the Holy Spirit in the in that in that greeting. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that that's absolutely true. We see that repeated often. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Father and the Son are, are seen as meeting heaven, while the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Right? So uh, we get the, the grace and peace from somebody that is at a, at a distance. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, the- theologically, we run into trouble, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice... It's a <laughs> Nothing's going to get by us here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, we don't know why, you know, I don't know that we have a, an answer. I mean, I understand humanly what you're saying, but yeah. Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read verses three and four. Who wants to read that for us? Yes, Amy. Thank you. Uh, Paul has uh, wonderful feelings towards these people. Not that I want to just talk feelings, but uh, a sentiment towards these people. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? to say, Boy, every time I think about you and remember you, I'm thankful for you. Now, I'm sure you have people like that in your life, right? And you have other people in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you probably won't write that to everybody, right? But uh, how wonderful it is to have that kind of a sentiment in your heart towards people. <clears throat> Special memories here. Uh, you know, he, he was with them at the, the founding of the church there, uh, second missionary journey, and, uh, and just Lydia came to know the Lord. Wonderful memories there. The Philippian jailer and, and his family came to know the Lord. Uh, he's, his heart is full of thanksgiving. Whenever he thinks of them, as he remembers them, time of special blessing there in Philippi. And then he says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. So when he's praying for them, he says, uh, as, as I'm praying for you, uh, I'm constantly doing so with joy. Notice he says, making, <clears throat> making requests for you with all joy. What's the request? Well, we're not told. He is requesting. He's asking for them. He's praying for them. But we're not told what these requests were. But we do know the, the attitude, with joy. Uh, it's a delight for Paul to be praying for these people, these saints at Philippi. And he's grateful for the memories. They were a great blessing to him. All right, any other thoughts? <clears throat> okay, let's get to verse 5 and 6. Who wants to read 5 and 6 for us? Yeah, John? <clears throat> Okay, these are some of the, the great verses in the New Testament here. Uh, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. 
Um, this is what filled his heart with joy, the fellowship that they shared in the gospel. And uh, let's see here. I've got a slide here. Fellowship. Uh, the Greek word is koinonia. It refers to something held in common. I stand right in the way of you. I'm sorry. I'll get over here. Uh, it is the sharing of a mutual bond. It is partnership and sharing in the things of God. And in this case, the gospel. They had become partners in the gospel mission. The gospel was their bond, and together they were furthering the cause of it. This, in Paul's mind, is what defined the fellowship in the gospel. Probably in view is also their financial support of Paul's gospel ministry. The key purpose for the letter is to express thanks and appreciation for their support. Their fellowship in the gospel involved financially supporting Paul, as expounded on in chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. So there's, there's quite, a, quite an extensive addressing of his appreciation for their support at the end of the book. Uh, notice he says uh, this fellowship is in the gospel. Nine times he mentions the word gospel in the letter. The word gospel means good news, and it's uh, the message about Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. For your fellowship in the gospel, when did they come on board in terms of sharing with him in the gospel ministry? Well, he says, from the first day until now, well, that's a wonder. No wonder he had such wonderful memories about these folks. They didn't say, well, you know, uh, we've got fire insurance now. We've got our salvation. And eventually we might think about supporting you <laughs> in the gospel endeavor. No, no. Uh, they were partners in the gospel from the very beginning, from the first day until now is what he says. So uh, note this slide. Acts 16, 15, this is a record of when he was there. Uh, when, this is Lydia. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Boy, wonderful memories. These people are very receptive from the very beginning. Please come and stay. We, we, we really are supportive. And then the Philippian jailer, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Wonderful fellowship in those early days at Philippi. So this is the basis of, uh, of Paul's joy. And I think it's also the basis of the confidence he goes on to speak of in verse 6. Uh, notice um, he says here, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk about this verse in context for a little bit here with you. Uh, being confident is the idea of having a settled conviction, a settled conviction uh, in terms of what, what God has done and his work in them, and, and what he is yet going to do. And uh, this work that, that God has been doing in them began from day one, and it is still ongoing. And so uh, there's, a, there's a settled confidence here. Now, I don't think Paul had this confidence in regards to everybody. Sometimes you want to claim this verse and say, well, everybody needs to camp on this verse. Well, yeah, understood in a proper way, but there's a context here. Um, Paul had questions about some people. Uh, he says to Timothy, he's quite confident. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded it is also in you. 
So he did have confidence uh, in regards to Timothy. But, you know, the Corinthians, some of the Corinthians, you know, he does call them saints. And he's kind of taking them at their profession. But he had concerns about some of them. Examine yourselves, he says at the end of 2 Corinthians, as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. I mean, this is really what, what you should do yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So, you know, he doesn't speak with so much confidence about all of them as he does uh, the uh, saints of Philippi. Galatians 2. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. There's some, there's some questions uh, kind of about them. Are they, are they really going to continue on uh, or not? So he didn't say this in regards to everybody. Some people, he's a little more questionable about them. But these people, he says, being confident of this very thing. Uh, you know, when there's a consistency, that builds confidence. And he says... You've been in the fellowship of the gospel from the very first day you were saved. And so he's very confident, being confident of this very thing. Ten, ten years of faithfulness in partnership in the gospel ministries is what we have here. Uh, this very thing, um, he's uh, emphasizing here uh, their faithfulness in, in the gospel ministry. And again, note the context here. Unfaithfulness is not the context of this uh, of the statement of confidence here. He doesn't say, well, I know you've been wayward, but I still have great confidence. No, there's a, it's not unfaithfulness that's emphasized in the context. Rather, it's couched in the context of faithfulness as seen in verses 5 and 7. Verse 5, fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7, uh, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers. So he's talking about the fellowship of the gospel and their consistency. And it's on this basis that he is expressing this confidence. Now, if this isn't true and this isn't true, well, maybe this isn't true either. But it is. That's the, that's the context. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul used God, uh, or uh, God used Paul, rather, but um, in terms of conversion, but conversion's not the only thing in view here. Yes, he talks about from the first day until now, but he's talking about kind of a bigger picture. Yes, salvation, but especially the fellowship of the gospel ministry. God had begun this good work in them from the first day until now. This is an ongoing thing, uh, this, this fellowship in the gospel ministry. Uh, it was true from the very beginning, and it's still in place. And this is the good work in context that Paul really especially has in, in view, that they are partners in the gospel ministry. And he is con he's convinced that this is going to continue on until the day of Jesus Christ. So um, note here, uh, we tend to personalize this, and it's good. I think that we can make personal application. He has begun a good work in you. will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think you can look at other cross-references, and that's true. But in context here, I think he's really emphasizing uh, the gospel work that they are doing together in partnership. And uh, it's not just an individual uh, thing. It's not uh, really a, a statement in regards to wayward believers saying, but God is still faithful. That is true. But that's not really the emphasis here. He's not talking about uh, just salvation, but really about the gospel ministry, not just individuals, but really about the whole church here, as we will see as we go on into verse 7. 
And he says, he has begun a good work in you, really referring to the gospel work, the gospel mission, uh, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul has the gospel mission work in view. And uh, when he's talking about until the day of Jesus Christ, I think he's talking about until the time Christ comes. And you have to understand in in, uh, these early days of the church, uh, Paul was anticipating that Christ may come in their lifetime. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he was hoping to be among the living uh, when Christ comes. There was an immediacy, an imminency as far as uh, the day of Jesus Christ. So when he's talking about the day of Jesus Christ, he's talking about the rapture, which will be followed by the Bema seat. Um, the day of the Lord really relates to the 70th week of Daniel. I, I take it the day of Christ uh, is the rapture, the completion of the church. It's, it, the day of Christ is distinct from the day of the Lord. It relates to the, the day of judgment that will come upon the whole world. Uh, we're not appointed to wrath. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, 5, um, kept from the hour. Uh, Revelation 3, 10, and so forth. So, day of the Lord here, um, I, I think this is what he's talking about. And he's saying that that gospel ministry is going to continue right up until that time. Uh, then it will no longer be in place in terms of the church phase of the gospel ministry. And why is that? Well, the church will be gone. The church will be completed. And uh, that that gospel mission that we have in the church age, what God is doing is building a forever church family. The family will be complete at that point. He has begun a good work in you. We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think that really relates to the completion of the church, the completion of the church's gospel mission in terms of the church that Christ is building will be complete in the day of Jesus Christ. All right. Any other thoughts before we get to verse seven? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Well, I think that's probably, um, yeah, in context, that would certainly flow. Um, So how does yours read, verse 4? Well, that that would certainly flow. Yep, I wouldn't quibble with that. Yeah, in in relationship to their ministry. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah, that's the flow. I, I wouldn't quibble with that. All right. Yes. Yeah, and I think we're quibbling with nuances there. Uh, it's true uh, what you're saying theologically, and, and yet I think he's working in them in what sense? I think the whole surrounding context relates to he's working in them in terms of the gospel ministry that, that is going forth uh, as well. So um, I don't know how much I put on that single preposition there. I'm, I'm going to look at the context there. 
Yeah, but I, I don't know. In, in, well, you'll see when we get to verse 7 why I think this pretty strongly in terms of verse 5 or 7. Um, working in them can mean lots of things in relationship to sanctification. And the sanctification certainly here relates to the gospel ministry. Uh, that, I think, is the surrounding context here. So it's not just, you know, I'm living a holy life. Yeah, it is. Um, or some other thing. It's the whole surrounding context relates to the gospel ministry. So he's at work in them to that end, is what I would say, in terms of the emphasis here. Certainly, there's application of what you're saying there. I wouldn't quibble with that either. But, yeah. Somebody else had a hand up? No? Okay. All right, let's have somebody finish uh, out with verse 7 here. Somebody want to read that for me? Yep, Marianne. Okay, and this gets to my point here. He's now saying, here's why I'm thinking this about you. And again, it's because uh, they are partakers with him uh, in terms of the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. This is very close to Paul's heart. This is why he so appreciates these people is because of their sharing with him in the gospel ministry. Uh, when he says, uh, just as it is right for me to think... Uh, of uh, think this of you all, I think he's expressing the, the basis of his confidence and why he is confident that, that he who has begun this good work in them related to the gospel ministry will continue to do so. Uh, this is why it's right for him to, to think this. He says, because I have you in my heart, uh, he's sharing his heart and, and there in his heart, and uh, because of this, he has every reason to believe that they're going to keep on keeping on in terms of what they've been doing. And he expresses why. Inasmuch as both in my chains, they have stood with him while he's in prison. And a lot of people didn't, but they had. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, uh, they were there earnestly contending for the faith right along with the Apostle Paul in the defense and confirmation. Um, there was a confirmation of the gospel ministry in and through their lives, what we might call discipleship ministry. And then he says, you are all partakers with me of grace. Uh, again, I think the context is grace to stand for the gospel. That's the context that we're talking about here. Uh, they're with Paul in the, in the gospel uh, mission. So let me uh, wrap up here. Um, Behind every gospel witness is the grace of God. Paul says we are all sharing in this grace. God is enabling us. We are all partners in this together, but it is God behind us. There is no place for ego here. It is the grace of God that allows us to stand consistently for gospel truth. Loyalty to the gospel mission and faithful partnership in the gospel mission is what Paul saw in the Philippian church. This is the basis for his confidence that God who has begun this gospel passion in them will in grace continue to work it in them until the rapture. And so uh, I would say uh, this is very close to the Apostle uh, Paul's heart. He was all about the gospel. And when people were all about the gospel, converts that he had led to the Lord, that made them very dear to his heart as we have seen. Uh, just a few other slides here. Note the following, Paul did not think they would capitulate to apostasy. The goal of every local church is to be faithful to the gospel mission until Jesus comes. And Paul was confident this local church would be found standing for the gospel until that time. Uh, 
I think that's his confidence in them as a group. Again, he's not just speaking to them as individuals, yes, but more collectively. Paul was thinking in terms of the imminent coming of Christ. This was his expectation. The gospel mission continues until Christ comes. And when we think about the gospel, we're thinking about what God is doing in terms of building his forever family called the church. And that's what he's doing to the gospel these days. And then number three, Paul is addressing them as a group because the the gospel ministry is a group effort. Not a one-person show. Certainly what he had to say applied to all individuals. But he is speaking to them as a group. The gospel mission is a team effort. The whole body is to be involved. And so I would see verse 6 as more of a collective emphasis instead of just individual. Yep, does apply individually. A lot of application there. But I do think there's a a group uh, context here in terms of the church that he has just started out addressing there when he's addressing the saints, the elders, and the deacons. Here's the effort that we're all involved in. And your partner's in it with me. And that's why he's so thankful for them parable of a life-saving station, an unknown author, on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was one crude little life-saving station. You know, this is, uh, seventh, uh, this is seventh Avenue Baptist Church right here, right? Uh, the building was just a hut. There was uh, one boat, but few devoted members kept a constant watch on the sea with no thought for their own safety. They went out day and night tirelessly rescuing the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station, so it became famous. Some of those uh, who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time, effort, and support of its work. New boats were brought and crews were trained and the little life station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced uh, the emergency cots and the beds and, and put better furniture in the large building. Uh, that, that's where we are now, right? I'm hoping this does not apply to us at all, but uh, the parable continues. Now, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and f- finished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club, and we don't want to go there. Uh, fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. You know? We'll hire people to do the work. Isn't that what happens to churches? Yeah, it does. The life-saving motive still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. The hired crew brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Their beautiful new club was considerably messed up, so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership, and most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activities because they were a hindrance and unpleasant to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted they were a life-saving Uh, They were a life-saving station as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still a life-saving station after all. Uh, They were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save lives of various kinds of people shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club. Another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent, but most of the people drown. Oh, man, that's a parable, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. Uh, So here's the application. What really is our mission? Let's not lose sight of it. Uh, I think Mac Jr. said, let's not change who we are. (laughs) We've changed location. Let's not change who we are. Uh, The church serves various purposes, but right at the top of the list is that we are to be a gospel life-saving station, giving forth the word of life. The fellowship of the gospel is what uh, binds us together in mission. The main thing is that the main thing always remained the main thing. And the main thing in terms of mission is the gospel. That's the great emphasis I see in the first seven verses of Philippians. I think you can make other applications. (laughs) But I think the flow of what Paul is saying relates to these people and how they aligned with him in the gospel mission from the very first day, from the time they were saved. And that endeared them to his heart in a very special way. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? No? Okay, well, I guess that parable said it all, huh? (laughs) All right, well, let's share some prayer requests. Uh, You need a prayer sheet? There are some way at the back here. Um, Vince, you want to help us out there?